Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Because We Love Finding Meaning After Loss podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Haycock. I am a certified and accredited life coach, grief coach, and certified grief educator. And I wanted to create a podcast and a platform for individuals to share their stories of not only the trauma and the loss, and it's not just the loss of loved ones through death when we think of grief, it's any kind of loss. And I wanted to create this space for individuals to share their stories, but not just the story of the trauma and the loss, but the story of how they found healing, the different modalities and tools that they use to not only live their life, but then turn around and help others do the same. I am inspired by all of my guests and I hope that you will be too. So whether you're the griever and you're trying to figure out how on earth you're going to navigate this life and navigate these losses, or you're somebody who is supporting a loved one who is grieving and you're wondering how on earth do I help them? What do I say? What do I not say? I'm going to be interviewing individuals who are going to give you some tools. I will speak to professionals who will be able to give us some insight as well. So vulnerability and authenticity is my jam. And I hope that you are going to find some or all of these episodes inspiring, useful, and authentic and real. So even though we're talking about some difficult topics, there will be some humor, there will be some laughter. I know that's hard to understand, but there is. So let's get vulnerable, people. Hi, my friends. So I have another really great conversation for you today. I was like, we just need to keep talking. So Yvonne is going to share her story, which is incredible, by the way, and I absolutely love the titles of her book. However, she's also going to give you real meat on the bones, so to speak, This these kind of real practical things that you should put into place before your loved one passes. And sometimes we don't like talking about it, but it is so incredibly important I worked at a law firm here in the UK that dealt with wills and probate, and I saw firsthand what somebody who had it all together, they had it all organized, what kind of release that was and relief that was for the loved ones, and they had done it right, bottom line. And then I saw the ones who didn't have anything set in place and how stressful and awful that experience was for the clients. So I went and I told my parents, you have to put these things in place. And they did. And when they passed, not that there wasn't stuff to do, but there certainly wasn't as much to do legally because my parents had listened and they'd done everything right. So Yvonne is going to give us some really great tips. I hope that you listen. I hope that you take it on board. And I hope that you talk to your loved ones about taking it on board. It's important stuff. So Yvonne Caputo has been a teacher. 
She taught in the Erie, Pennsylvania public schools for 18 years. She's also been the vice president of human resources at a retirement community, a corporate trainer, a consultant, and a psychotherapist. She has a master's degree in education and clinical psychology. In her book, Flying with Dad, is the story about her relationship with her father through his telling of World War II stories. Her second book, Dying with Dad, was released at the end of May. She has always been a storyteller. She has used stories to widen the eyes of students and to soften the pain of clients. It's her stories that result in rave reviews as a presenter and speaker. Yvonne lives in Pennsylvania with her best friend, who is also her husband, and together they have three children and three grandchildren and a Bernadoodle named Ellie. Let's talk to Yvonne. Hi, Yvonne. Thank you so much for joining the Because We Love podcast. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. And you? Yes. Wonderful. It's sunny here in the UK, so that's always good and rare. As I have visited many times, yes, indeed. Yes, yes, yes. about sun in the UK. Absolutely. Well, it's so good to have you on the show. And I just thought we would start out by you just sharing a bit of your story. Okay. Um, The real beginning is that my father was greatest generation. He fought in World War II. Um, There was a roof over our head and food on the table. And I knew that my father loved me. However, the kind of connection that I had with my mother and the kind of connection that I had with dad were far different. Mm, And I really wanted to have more of that same kind of connection that I had with mom. And I didn't have it with dad. So fast forward to 2008. I'm in my 60s. Dad's living on the other side of the state of Pennsylvania. It's a six and a half hour drive to get to him. And we're on our phone call, our normal weekly or bi-weekly phone call. And we talked about dialysis treatments and all of the reports that were coming from the doctors. And we were able to provide him with in-home care, the neighbor across the street, which was wonderful. And once we got beyond those kinds of topics, the communication with dad and I would kind of shut down. But on one night in a dark January in 2008, he opened up and told me this quirky, funny, off-the-wall story about making an emergency landing, of all things, in freed Belgium toward the end of the war. And during that call, I said to him, I said, Dad, let me get a pencil and paper. I want to take notes. His exact response was, what the hell do you want to do that for? (laughs) My response to Dad was, I think this is something that the family would like to know. I'd like to write this up. So where it came from, I don't know. But on the very next phone call, I said to him, if you're willing, dad, start at the beginning. How did you get into the war? Wow. And 
story after story after story started just kind of rolling off his tongue. And what was so interesting to me from a historical perspective is he never would have had to have gone. My father repaired airplanes and he repaired the airplanes that in his words, young learning pilots would bust up. Wow. So he could have stayed stateside. However, an AT-6 came in, which is a, a training plane. It didn't have a wing. Dad couldn't find one. He would call all over the United States. So he just asked for the blueprints and built one. Wow. 17 and a half feet of wing. Wow. From yeah. That's amazing. So I know. I'm like a gog. So when that plane was going to be taken up for its test flight, the pilot knew how the wing was done. Dad was 19 at the time. Wow. And the pilot said to dad, is it going to fly? And dad said, of course, I'm sure it's going to fly. Yeah. You're positive it's going to fly. Yeah. Well, good son, get in. Cause if it goes down, you're going down with it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so my father then petitioned to get out of the that deferment and into what was then the United States Army Air Force as a cadet. And so that essentially is the first book that's flying with dad. But something happened in the writing of that book. Dad began to trust me. He began to trust me with stories that he never told. And he began to trust me to let me know that coming home from the war, there were nightmares. And there was an occasion where he had a flashback. And because I'm a psychotherapist, I could explain what happened and why it happened and what we now know about people who have witnessed trauma. My father watched B-24s go down all around him when he was flying missions. And he was so scared, he peed in his suit. It was a heat suit. It short-circuited. They're 22,000 miles above the earth. It is 40 to 60 degrees below zero. Luckily, they were on their way back and they were approaching the English Channel. So he got on the interphone and said to the pilot, when you get to the channel, drop this baby down to an altitude so I don't freeze to death. Wow. <laughs> so the trust again with him telling me stories like that is beginning to build. The second piece of my story is that I worked in a retirement community. And we had a case where the advanced directive signed and witnessed by one of our residents who could no longer speak at all. She was in the end stages of dementia. It didn't work. And her daughter could not let her go over the issue of quality of life because Pennsylvania doesn't recognize that. It recognizes end stage and all kinds of things, but it doesn't recognize quality of life. So that really got me to thinking, here's my father, brittle diabetic, 
what do we have in place? If he should not be able to speak for himself, who's going to speak for him? So dad and I got an attorney in my hometown and had that document created. So I felt really pretty, pretty good about that, that that piece was taken care of. And should dad, you know, get to a point where he can't speak for himself, I could. However, at the retirement community, I became aware of a document called the Five Wishes. Hmm. And it is an advanced directive with heart. It covered all kinds of areas that a normal advanced directive did not. For example, how did dad want to be remembered? What did he want his children to know? How comfortable did he want to be? What kind of a funeral did he like? Did he want to be buried? Did he want to be cremated? You know, all of these little intricate things that I didn't know. And so um, I can tell you trepidation, driving across the state six and a half hours with the, the five wishes beside me, thinking, how am I going to get him to do this? My dad was good at yelling. Was really, he, his, bark, his bark was much worse than his bite, but he was good. And for whatever reason, when I went into the hospital um, where he was, I said, I have something I want to go over with you. It's another advanced directive, but it's different. Are you okay with that? And his response was, come on, come on over. He swung his legs over the bed. We pulled up the little hospital tray table. It was warm when I sat down beside him from the body heat. And we went question by question by question. As no if yelling, no yelling. <laughs> no, nothing. Just as if we were having a conversation about fishing. Wow. Or hunting or something. So we finished the document on that night. And I was able to get two witnesses at the hospital. Dad signed it. And it hung on the side of his refrigerator. And fast forward to the Christmas of 2009, he was back in the hospital again. He liked being in the hospital at Christmas. My father was a character. He knew how to pull people in and get them to dote on him. The nurses loved him. The aides loved him. He was just... He was home. He was home, in essence, in the hospital at Christmas time. And they were like, yay, he's back, kind of, but not really, <laughs> but we do love him. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We just love him. So we went, my husband and I and his brother, we went to visit. And the social worker said to me, when can we send your dad home? And I said, when he's ready. We are back at my home for no more than an hour or two when dad's on the phone and he's screaming at me. Mm. Why did you tell them that I could go home? I'm in so much pain. I don't have any medicine. Why did you tell them? And I said, dad, I said, I told them that you could go home when you were ready. 
and it doesn't sound like you're ready. He then did something that he had never done before. He apologized and said, I'm sorry I yelled at you. Mm. Yvonne, can you come home? I'm scared. Oh. So I got on the phone, made all kinds of arrangements that night. Um, I found somebody to stay with him. I got in touch with the pharmacy and I told him, I said, you know, I'll be on the road first thing tomorrow morning and I'll be home. I got in the door and luckily the aide who stayed with him, a friend of the family's, had been able to get to the pharmacy to pick up the medicine. So he was not in as much pain. Um, he asked me to get him a yogurt. He sat down and ate half of it. And then he went back down the hall and I just thought, well, he's gonna go to the bathroom. He was in the bedroom and he called me and asked me to help him get in bed. He wanted to try and go to sleep. So we did that. And maybe 20 minutes after that, uh, the neighbors came from across the street. Dad had a recliner down in the basement. And we thought if we could get the recliner up to the, the living room, he could rest more comfortably. Dad could sleep in a recliner. So we were standing there about ready to do it when we heard this thump. We went back to the bedroom and there's dad face first on the floor between the bed and the dresser. And not being a nurse, I had no idea, you know, what his condition was. So we called 911 and the EMTs arrived. And I showed one of them the five wishes. And he said, they're too old. Now, I no longer think that's true. They weren't too old. He just didn't recognize that this was a legal document. So I called um, the hospital, the transitional care unit. And I said, there's a DNR on dad's chart. Get it to the emergency room. They're bringing him in. I went back to the bedroom and just as I got back there, the emergency room doctor called and said, we have his DNR, you can let him go. Mm. At this point, he was out by the bed at the, at the foot of the bed. And I laid down beside him and told him that I loved him mm. and told him that I knew he was going where he wanted to be. And that was with my mother. And the glue in our family was when we were in church together, whether the whole family or not, when the Lord's prayer came, we held hands. So I said the Lord's prayer in his ear and he was gone. Mm. And what happened for me was that I went outside as the EMTs were just about ready to place dad into the ambulance. And this is Northwestern Pennsylvania and the snow's coming down an inch an hour. Uh, it's just incredibly beautiful. And before they lifted the gurney up into the ambulance, um, the light from the ambulance shone on dad's face. And there was this soft, sweet, smile oh. 
He was where he wanted to be. It happened in just the way he wanted it, feet first out of his own home. And here I am going, yes. And the EMTs are looking at me like she's lost her head. She she's has lost hard. it. Yeah, <laughs> she is. Nobody responds this way. She, we, we need to take her away. Yeah, that's right. And I said to them, I said, you have just done exactly what my dad wanted to be carried feet first out of his own home. Yeah. So in essence, that's the story. Yes. I mean, what a powerful story. So were you there only for a day or so before your father passed or how long? Two and a half you- hours. Two and a half hours. Two wow. and a half hours. Wow. Something inside my father, I think, knew it was coming. Yeah. And he, need, and he, he was waiting for you. He was waiting for me. Wow. And your mom, your mom passed away how many? Seven many, years before. Seven years before. And mom was in the early stages of dementia. Mm. My mother would have been valedictorian of her high school if she hadn't moved. So that gives you an indication of how smart she was. And she knew she was losing her memory. Mm. So I was home at Easter and we were down in the family room and she looked at me and she said, Yvonne, I want to go. I sat bold upright and put my feet on the floor and said, mom, tell me. And she said, I know I don't remember things. I'm not doing the stuff that I love. I'm in pain all the time. I just want to go. And I said to my mom, I said, I understand. I will miss you like crazy. But you and God have conversations. Tell them that you're ready. A month later, she was gone. However, the very last conversation I had with my mother, she was in the hospital and on the phone, she was screaming at me, get me out of here. Yvonne, get me out of here. A nurse came by and picked up the phone from mom and she said, I'm going to hang it up now. That's the last thing I heard from my mother. Oh, we had no advanced directive. I didn't know that something like that existed. She passed away a month later, deep in the night, alone, in an antiseptic hospital with bells ringing and all kinds of things. And that part of it was really what pushed me to make sure, if I could, that dad didn't go in the same way. Yeah. It's such a two very different experiences for you as the child, you know, and the proactive approach that you had with your father. Uh, And that, you know, it's interesting. Is it just in Pennsylvania or is this document that you talked about with the five wishes, is that throughout America? Do you know? As far as I know, um, it's been a while since I looked at it, but it's recognized in 42 states. Okay. Okay. Now, some in some states, it has to be um, 
Oh, there's a word for it. I can't think of it. In the state of Pennsylvania, it just required two witness signatures. signatures. Okay. But in some states, you need to do something further. Probably it. a notary public or somebody. There you go. That yeah. was what I couldn't yeah. find. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really great information for people who are listening, not only to your story, but something that, you know, we we don't always talk about, right? We don't like to talk about these things, but wow, so incredibly powerful because we just don't know when it is our time. And one of the things that I think, you know, we talked about previously in a previous chat was I worked for lawyers here in the UK and I saw they did wills and probate and lasting powers of attorney. And I saw when clients hadn't done the important paperwork and the documentation. I saw what the family was going through. So it was this added thing that they had to the deal with, let alone just grieving the loss of their loved one. So then I also saw it on the other side where that person did everything prior and everybody knew what what they wanted what they wished for and then there was all the legal documents and how smoothly that went so they were they of course they the the family still had to deal with stuff but they didn't they didn't have the stress of not having all of these wishes not having all the legal documents so they could actually tend to their grief a lot sooner, a lot quicker. And when I saw that, I said to my parents, like, you need to do this, 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 and this. And you know what they did? And they listened. And when they both passed away, we, you know, of course there were things to deal with, but it was one less thing. We knew exactly what they wanted. And we had all the paperwork, my brother and I. When we sat down with the priest to plan the funeral, my older brother said, gee, father, I don't know how this works. I, I really don't know what to tell you. And I said, this is what I know what dad wants. Dad wants a high mass. He wants my husband to sing. My husband has a glorious tenor voice. He wants the Lord's Prayer, Amazing Grace, and the Ave Maria. He um, does not want people to stand up and say things during the service. Um, he was very clear. If they haven't said it to my face, then they damn well better not say it at the funeral. That's my dad. Uh -huh. so, so those kinds of things were all taken care of. And I can be very clear. I do not grieve the loss of my father in the same way that I do so many of the others that I've lost. We lost my brother when he was 26. Hmm. Of course, at 26, he doesn't think about having to do these papers, you know, yeah. because it seems forever. However, my granddaughter was diagnosed with leukemia when she was 17. Hmm. She did the five wishes. Wow. Now, she's in remission. There are no worries. She's gotten herself ah, through it. Yes. You know, it. it's it took three and a half years. But at 17, Children's Hospital in Los Angeles said, this is a document you need to do. Wow. Yeah. So beyond that, you know, 
readers of Dying with Dad. And Dying with Dad is the journey that I went on to be comfortable talking about death and dying. I've had three different experiences. I've had older people who have read it, who have purchased the document, and then have said to their kids, this is what I want. Let's sit down and talk about it. I've had younger people who, when their parents wanted to talk about it, would say, no, 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 it's too soon. We don't need to. No, we don't need to. And they now realize, yes, indeed, they do. Mm. And then the third one is a, a writer in the group that I'm in um, had been acutely ill for 10 years. Surgery after surgery after surgery. And she read the, the book and she got copies of The Five Wishes and sat down with her family. About a month ago, we learned that she had chosen hospice. And she wanted to talk to those of us in the group. So her husband set up 15 minute Zoom meetings. Um, I was on a Zoom meeting with her for only seven minutes. She was so tired, that's all she could do. But she told me over and over again how much she appreciated the book, how much she appreciated doing the five wishes, how much it helped her and her family to align with that she just had enough. Wow. It and was so time. that's amazing because you're talking about, you know, let's say the parents who are talking to their children, children talking to their parents and the person who actually is dying, thanking you because now she knows that her wishes and that that's one less thing that they have to think about process and work because it's all in writing. Yes. So that's, that is amazing. And that is the story. So you've got, you've got flying with dad, which is amazing because it sounds like you didn't hear any of these stories growing up. None of them. Now I can say that I think the way that I asked him to do it helped. We went chronologically. So he started with graduating from high school in 1939, no job. Men with families were getting the jobs. He went off to train to learn to repair airplanes through Roosevelt's uh, Youth Administration Program. Then he started going to depots in Georgia, doing just exactly that. And, and then you get the wing story. Yep. So it kind of built upon itself in an easy way so that by the time we got to the nightmares and peeing in his heat suit, or the flashback that he had probably when he was 70. Wow. A flashback. Dad flew a B-24. And the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base has a museum and they have one. There are only 11 left in the entire world. So he's with a buddy. They go directly for that B-24. Dad's walking down one side of it. He goes around the tail and parked right next to it was a German 262 Messerschmitt. My father dropped like a shot, lost consciousness. Wow. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Came to, came to, stood up, 
His friend said, what happened? And dad said, I don't know. I don't know. So when dad told me that story, when we're deep, deep, deep in the book, I could explain what a flashback was and what happened in his brain. And I basically just said to dad, tell me about the measurement. And he said, oh, honey, it was so fast. Our gunners couldn't trail it. It was really nimble. It would come over us. It would come under us. What the Germans would do would be to shoot for the wing and particularly on the on the B-24. The wing is where the gasoline was, the fuel was. So dad said, we were sitting ducks. Wow. So I was able to, to tell dad neurologically what happens in the brain when those kinds of experiences yeah. you're faced with them. That's normal. Yes. But at, at 70 and it wasn't talked about these things, there was no help. There wasn't a, what, what there is now. And even now I know is lacking, but it there was certainly back then there was nothing. So it, you know, fast forward so many years later, there's no way he would necessarily connect it or even have the knowledge about it, but he's got this daughter who's a psychotherapist who can explain. Then you write a book, dying with dad. So you've got flying with dad and dying with dad. And it's just like, it just seems like such a, well, it doesn't seem like it is a beautiful circle, isn't it? It's like the beginning to the end and these stories and this relationship that's built with your father at the end of his life. Wow. And it's so amazing. I know when people talk about you know, when their grandparents or their elderly parent is passing away, you want to hear stories about the things that they don't necessarily share. You didn't know as a child. And it's so powerful to just sit with older people, whether you're related or not, and hear these amazing stories. Mm-hmm. So in the show notes, I'll definitely be putting your link where people can find you and the books. So, because they just sound so incredible. And if you could just, I mean, obviously with the, with the five wishes and all the legal documents, I think this is so, so important. And it's just that nugget that people need to, they need to hear and they need to action. Um, but in your kind of healing process, and you talked about, you know, the grief is very different and was there anything else, like any tools or anything that you used, you know, some people will go towards spirituality or some people will be academic or some people will write or there's certain modalities, therapy, things that people use in order to kind of process their grief and their healing. Was there anything with your brother, your mom, your dad that you have used that you could share? Um, I believe in therapy or I wouldn't be one. So after mother died and after mother died and even after dad died, I picked up the phone and called the therapist. Yeah. I just, you know, my family loves me. They would love for me to talk, but there's there's only so much of that that they can do. And and they're also in that process of grieving. Um, so that, yes, I have a journal. Um, I've started something now that I've never done before, and that's meditation, uh, which I find to be very helpful. Um, I've always been an exerciser since my late 20s. So I know 
when I'm when I'm doing my thing, that that's a part of my grief process and healing from the grief process. So it's it's a number of things. I think for me, because I also have done critical incident critical incident stress debriefing when there's a traumatic event. I've gone out when there've been robberies at banks or there's been the death of an employee or a really horrendous accident on the work site, you know, that you get people to talk about it. And one of the things that's critical to that, that process is that you're always saying, whatever you're experiencing is normal. Yeah. The nightmares are normal. The inability to sleep is normal. The really rush of strong feelings that you haven't felt for maybe ever, it's all normal. So know that you're not losing it, but you're experiencing what's normal to a traumatic event. And that doesn't have to be just that you've lost somebody. Yes, yes. Exactly. It can be a car accident. It can be losing a job. It can be a miscarriage. Anytime that there is some kind of loss. And I've had people come back to me after I've done something like this. And one man said to me, he said, thank you so much. He said, I now understand what I went through when I lost my mom. Yeah. And I had no idea that what I was experiencing was just normal. Yes, because again, it's one of those things that if we're not talking about it, we're not educating people, then this, and they've never experienced it before, it can feel very abnormal, or they're going crazy, or there's something wrong with them, when actually it's loss and trauma and grief. Mm -hmm. That is, and it's such a, it's such an important grief education because we can be so grief illiterate is so, so important. And you're right. Loss is any type of loss. Trauma is any type. Of, it's not just the loss of loved ones through death. So you're, and I love what you said, because it's so true. So many of us do this. We grab a hold of many different modalities. There's not just one thing. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Family and friends can support us in the way that they can support us. But it, having a third party person who's educated, who's gone through this, but who knows and can be that sounding board, who can say that's normal, that is normal. You're not going crazy. It's just such a freeing experience. Oh, great. I'm not going crazy. This is grief. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's such a, those are such, I mean, the things that you're sharing are such golden nuggets that people I know will need to take away and to really process and think about. And I'm so grateful for you sharing your story about, especially the, the relationship with your dad and the, the transformation that was at the end. It was just really beautiful. And again, in the bottom of the, in the show notes, I'll put all of the details and where people can find you. So is that what you are doing now is you're a psychotherapist and that's, that's your work. You an author as well. Um, I, I think right now it's soup to nuts. Um, the books were published independently. So I am the marketer. I am learning this whole thing about marketing. Um, I have a very small client base because I enjoy it. 
I really enjoy watching people grow and flourish and go, really, that's okay. You know, you know, thinking something's wrong. And then um, I also do corporate training around, um, and and all of these are just very, very part-time because I say I'm deliciously semi-retired. Yeah. Yes. So, so all of the things that I've done career-wise, I like, I like just keeping my hands in it because it's fun. It's, it's work that I enjoy. Yes. It's a passion, isn't it? And it's a purpose, Mm -hmm. isn't it? And that's, that's the whole process of transforming pain into purpose, transforming, you know, taking action and creating this life. And in, we all have loss of some sort and how you've been able to use the tools and knowledge of your education for others and for your own family. It's amazing. So it's amazing work that you're doing. I'm really grateful for you sharing your story with us. And again, I'll put your details um, in the show notes for a little bit of marketing as well in your book. So thank you so much. Okay, if I may wrap up by saying, because I don't want it to be unbalanced. Do I miss my dad? Absolutely. Are there times when I'm in tears? Absolutely. Would I have him back in a heartbeat to sit down for one last dinner so that I could just listen to him talk? Absolutely. But the balance that I have is where the sorrow is, there is also great joy. Mm. The great joy of being with him and making sure that I could give this wonderful man, this father of mine, an exit that he really wanted to have. And that is a beautiful message to end with. Thank you so much. Thank you.